Welcome to your fourth beer supervision, the podcast where we learn about the joys of working in mental health over a cold brew. My name is Aaron Rajamani, and I'm here with my co-host, Jesse Richardson. Hello again for our fourth podcast. Yes, Aaron, yes. Woo! Very exciting. We're back again. And... What an episode it is going to be. I am I am looking very forward to this episode. I actually think this is the episode I've, out of all the ones we've done, I'm most looking forward to. Whoa, yeah. okay, right, yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm extra pumped now. You're going to learn a lot today. Yeah, yeah for sure. Extra. Cool. <laughs> and you're hearing maybe the chuckles in the background. That's because we have uh, an exciting guest. Uh, we have, yes, uh, we have uh, Liz Harbridge here with us, which is very exciting. Um, say hi, Liz. Hello. Yeah, how about you? Tell us a bit Hello. about. <laughs> so, um, tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Um. Okay. I'm a mental health social worker who's mm. worked in public mental health for about fifteen years, right. including ten or so years in child and youth. I was the longest team senior. Of all history, over there. <laughs> just, just drops that one. Right <laughs> nine years, which is incredibly resilient. I don't know what was happening to me to do that. But yes. oh, that's very impressive. Yeah, it, it is. It's one of the greatest achievements of my life, actually. <laughs> very good. Yep. So I've been a social worker for I think thirty-five years Whoa. or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I've worked in. A huge variety of places over the northern and inner suburbs of Melbourne, a few hospitals, Child Protection Department of Education, um, some really innovative sort of programs run by, one was run by um, Uniting Church in Reservoir, and it was a family violence intervention program that ran one of the very first um, men's behaviour change programs in Victoria. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. one of the really interesting. Yeah, cool. yeah. Um, yeah. That was really good. A lot of fun. The and the uh, Presbyterian or United Church minister was also a Buddhist, which got him into trouble. <laughs> and the film had to come out and review why he had the Buddha in the yeah. vestry. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why we're so excited to have Liz on. History. She, yeah. So much history, so many amazing stories. Yeah. Not, um, not to mention that our... <laughs> Our senior team leader psychologist actually used to read the tarot, and he was an ex-Catholic priest. So that <laughs> caused one. I feel like we are we are in for a lot of good stories. <laughs> so excited to get into it. Before we get right into it, um, how about we uh, introduce the beer for this evening? Ah, uh, yes, yes. Now, Aaron, as you know, and as our guests know, this is one of my favourite parts of the podcast. Yes. Uh, second only to the review of the beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> everything else, you can just scrap it. Yeah. Um, and so today I picked us up um, a Feral Brewing, Brewing Co's Sly Fox Session Ale. Ah, now, a... the Feral Brewing Co. is in uh, Western Australia, I do believe. Oh, good. Yeah. Local, local beer, I guess. Yes, <laughs> I, well, I figured we'll, we'll go abroad. Okay, uh, yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we, we can't travel uh, interstate, yep. but we can at least drink our beers uh, as though we are interstate. It's like, it's like I'm in Western Australia right yes. now. So, but having said that, um, there's, there's a little bit of a change this time, isn't there, Aaron? Be- yeah. Because Liz as it turns out, is allergic to bloody everything. Um, <laughs> and just a drop of this would probably uh, probably kill her. So Liz is drinking some... Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. There you go. Mm. It's not quite a beer, uh, but I, I think, I think uh, the value that Liz is going to bring to this podcast is going to make up <laughs> For the fact that she's not drinking a beer, <laughs> okay. and we will get her thoughts on the Irish Irish whiskey, absolutely, um, at yeah. the end of the podcast as well. Yeah. So, how about we uh, we get right into it? All right, let's crack it open. Oh, there it is! Oh, all <laughs> over the table. It's exploded. Oh, yeah. it's yes. I was a little, <laughs> little bit too keen on that one. Oh no! Mm-hmm. You shook it up on the way here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> exactly what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Solid. Solid. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yes. Solid. Okay. Yeah. Right. Does it taste like a fox? Oh, um, yeah. Well, if a, if I could drink a fox, yeah. this and, would be the fox I would imagine. drink. Yeah. 
Hey, we're just looking at them. It's got like a bit of a face mask on it, doesn't mm. it? That's a, oh, wait, what? It's a <laughs> COVID, COVID safe This is actually yeah. a COVID beer. Yeah, it, oh, it is. is. Oh, cool. Mm. Okay. What are we talking about today? Yeah, we, well, we're talking about mainly, um, I guess, how mental health has changed over the years, what it's, mm. what it's been like, um, different um, aspects and perhaps have um, been beneficial changes or not so beneficial changes. Um, and also later on, we're also going to talk about um, what looking forward, like what are the potential changes that are going to happen mm. in the mental health field yes. um, and what that might look like for people going into the field or what yeah. that might look like in the future. Who knows? But yeah, that's what the plans are. Um, so, but before that, one thing I really want to talk about and I'm pretty excited about um, is during COVID, um, I've been trying to um, be better at managing my mental health because my normal strategies aren't there. Um, and so I've been trying like different like apps and things to deal with my mental health. And I've been getting into running and an amazing app that is free um, is like the Nike Run Club app. Mm. Hashtag not sponsored, <laughs> but maybe hopefully one day. <laughs> but they have a really good program on there called um, um, that is like mindfulness, like mindful running. And they have like this, like yeah, like a like a uh, like a like a track that you play while you're running and while it records. Yeah. And it's like a coach that knows mindfulness as well as sport, and they both talk you through running and doing like running in like a mindful way and being able to use that to let's say de-stress or mm. deal with um whatever's going on or just um get back into your body and out of your head or things like that. Mm. And it's so good. And I've had a great time doing it. It's helped me a lot. Um. So that's really good. And you can do it while you're just like walking around the house or whatever, mm. whatever you need to do. I think that's been really good. Um, another one um, that I use sometimes and also recommend my clients a lot to use is called Smiling Mind, yes. which has been really good as well. Um, yeah. Just like you just put in like like your age and like what kind of stuff you're up to and what kind of things you want to work on. It just gives you a program um, to do some mindfulness, um, some meditations and things like that. Mm. And that is so good. Um yeah, it's hard to convey why mindfulness is helpful. But I also think that it's made me better at communicating with my clients why mindfulness is helpful and how to do it well when I'm doing it myself and working out the difficulties of mindfulness and um, trying to practice it in a good way. Yeah. If I'm doing it well, then it makes it so much easier for me to um, yeah, teach that to my clients. Well, that's it. I think it comes down to when you practice something that you're, you know, encouraging your clients to get around, it's so much easier to sell that if it's something that you you do regularly, uh, that you know works, um, and, and that you really want to want to share with someone else. Mm. Yeah. Liz, I know you're a huge fan of mindfulness um, and in, in, the, in yes. the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll, you'll very regularly encourage us to... Uh, you know, do some group mindfulness mindfulness activities. In fact, I think last Christmas you were like, let's have a two-hour yoga session where we just practice yoga we mindfully. Do. We didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> no one wants to do it. Oh, no. That was mindful eating. <laughs> yeah, well, we, uh, we do a lot of that. Um, um, but I know like, mindfulness is something that you really do enjoy. Is. Do mm -hmm. you have you tried out any of these apps for, yep. for mindfulness? Oh, not the Nike run thing, but smiling minds. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what? How do you rate smiling mind? Um, I won't because I haven't used it enough. Mm. Because I do other things and I um, don't use the apps that much. I've got my own um, special mindfulness teachers I follow and do their courses and things for a few years and mm -hmm. then feel okay. that I've done enough of that one and I move on to where I feel I need to go. So right. sounds Next. like you go really in depth I do. I on, do. on a specific type, whereas yeah. it, I think these yeah. apps yeah, tend to give you a, a bit more of a broad yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of yeah. introduction or taste yeah. of, of mindfulness. So what, what are some ones that you've gone like, a real deep dive into? Oh, um, well... Um, recently when, you know, uh, with the, mo prior to mobile phones, it's a different story of mm -hmm. how you do these things, but, um, self-compassion and, you know, um, more compassionate, softer attitude to your, and more accepting of yourself mm -hmm. rather than shame and which leads to minimization, I think, of difficulties and stigma and all of that and resistance and blockages and, 
you know, not been able to have insight about things, we can't really change them. So I found that a lot of the self-kindness, self-compassion meditations called metta in Buddhism are mm. really, really good. I've done another whole series, and it's almost like an advanced practice, but it's called um, should in Buddhism, and it's very old, but it's modernised by various teachers that are also often social workers or clinical psychologists or mm -hmm. doctors or whatever into a practice called facing your demons. So it's it's um, it's almost like a spiritual practice therapy crossover. So mm -hmm. instead of rejecting parts of yourself, you're actually facing them mm. and taking them on and then understanding what they're actually, why they're there, in what way they're trying to help you. Because a yeah. lot of our maladaptive behaviours are actually survival things, trying, thinking they're helping you. Mm. I can right. see how that would mm. be so beneficial from, from I think, like a, a mental health and therapeutic sort of mind, mindset. Yeah. To, to, yeah, uh, it's great. You know, that, yeah. that self-acceptance and that... Um, mm. Um, mm. And it's the, the comment leading in. Yeah. Lean into these yeah. things. Don't shut off from yeah. them and yeah. bury them, you know? Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And so you mentioned that, uh, you know, you've, I guess you've been doing uh, more, more deep dives into, into mindfulness and that uh, I guess you had to really practice all of these sorts of things before the technology came and assisted that. And I think mm. that's... Um, yeah, that's quite different. That must mm. be. Mm. Uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to practice my transition skills here. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah. Well, that must be one of the biggest changes you've noticed over the years <laughs> working in mental health. There we go. How do, yeah. I, how do I go with that? That's a good transition. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so technology, that, that, that must be yeah, a huge, it is. huge impact on, on how, we, how, yeah. we, how you, at least, have, have practiced mental health over the years. Yeah, you know what, though? It isn't. Okay. It isn't, really. Mm. Oh, your transition yeah. was terrible, Jesse. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> I thought about that. I thought, yeah, it's had a big impact on me being frustrated and feeling useless, but yeah. it really hasn't. It's been social policy that's been the biggest thing. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, by a long shot. Yeah. Interesting. And changes in various governments and their approaches to it. I would say that's the massive change, okay. Okay. approaches to mental health. And would, would you say that the change is, like, you know, the change with, within technology and all that is easier to adjust to than the change within? within I think it's hard, it's hard to adjust to, especially yeah. if you were, you know, born a long time ago. But, yeah. Um, it's not really, it can be a frustrating annoyance. Um, you can see it as help, helpful in a lot of ways, but a hindrance in some ways. But it really doesn't have, to me, it doesn't have that much to do with it, really. Right, yeah. okay. Well, what, yeah. what are the social policies that you think have made a big difference? Oh, well, look, when I started in mental health, actual mental health, we were actually still at the old Hobson's Park Mental Asylum. Yeah. Mm. Although it had been closed down and sold off, the hospital hadn't completed its new building, so they then had to rent it back at that huge cost <laughs> and leave it. So when I turned up for my job interview there, pulling this car park, which had lots of shrubs out of control and blackberries creeping across the car park yeah. and sheep walking around the building. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was empty, except they'd had to re-rent and pull the staff back in there. So the toilets were in this outside corridor thing. It was hideous. Wow. Jeez. Really awful. And I used to sit there and say, what have I done? <laughs> Technologically, it was different because we didn't have a computer mm -hmm. yeah, at sure. all. So we had these shared ones, which I found bizarre because at a previous hospital I'd worked at, we did all have a computer, so it was pretty weird. But um, we soon moved out of there into the new building and Hobson's Park went straight to Delkey. But... Um, and when I first started in social work, a lot of the um, me the mental health institutions were still alive and kicking and they just started to deinstitutionalise. And there were some real benefits of that from the point of view mm. that people would get kind of incarcerated in there and couldn't get out again because there was a lot more. It was very paternalistic, like mm. there was something wrong with you and we know about it and you don't mm. and you need to follow all these treatments and take, you know, whereas... Once they closed, deinstitutionalized, it was quite a bit different. But there were some benefits in that. Mm. I could, my second social work placement was actually at a place that had the unfortunate name of Creswell Sanatorium. 
was it, it was originally <laughs> a TB for tuberculosis <laughs> treatment facility way out near Bandura, way yeah. out there in the scrub then, um, and it had been shut down as a TB facility and changed into an alcohol and drug rehab thing. So it was institutional because it was this big, you know, the, the big buildings you see in a gothic movie of the mental asylum. Yeah, and right. The potted palms and the... Is that actually how it was? Yeah. So that's, not, that's not just Hollywood's no, no, interpretation. No, oh, wow. it really looked what like a vibe. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all looked like that. Traditionally, they were on a hill outside the town. That's, that's another story. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was a really great place because it did a lot yeah. of, it still ran therapeutic groups, yeah. regular mm. sessions, lots of support, lots of one-on-one people lived there so they were away from sources of substance abuse that they could get at, you know. Um, we did these fantastic women women's groups in a particular house that used to be owned, lived in by one of the caretakers or something, so it was kind of out of the institutional thing, but it was mm. still on the campus, so it was very supportive, and it was in the new field of women and alcohol abuse because all oh, the research cool. had previously done on men. Right. And someone at that point discovered, well, actually it's different for women, so we better research that and have treatment programs that focus on women and alcohol abuse and drug abuse. So... It was a really exciting place to be for a placement. I learned so much. You would have learned an insane amount. Yeah, it was just great. So that's a sad thing Mm. I've seen. Yeah. Those things go um, because the idea of deinstitutionalisation was we kick everyone out of these hideous Gothic hangovers from the 18th century and um, put people into the community to destigmatise them and, and, you know, make them integrate into society and we're putting in all these community supports. However, the community supports just declined with each conservative government. They just went down the right. plug hole further and further and the business model came in. Big disaster. Mm. Yeah, really messed it up. So it sounds like they're, um, mm. you know, when they mm. deinstitutionalised mental health. That they threw the baby out of the bathwater, really. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, definitely sounds like that. It sounds like they had some really good, I think, mm. um, good you know, intentions around that, mm. but uh, it's just it just hasn't hasn't really worked out the way that that they yeah. had planned. It started off okay, but yeah. started off well um, in a sense, but it looked like it. Oh, no, I was, was going to say something, but then you said something. Like, oh, sweet. <laughs> For those of you who can't see Aaron's facial expressions, yeah, it's, it's like deep in thought. something. I'm like, oh, I've got a No. I'll keep it to myself. Yeah. So it became, it moved towards these kind of, I think this was in the late 80s, there was a really big push towards um, public-private partnerships and business models of, welfare and mental health and community services and all that stuff, which it hasn't really worked very well. It's resulted in fragmentation of services, lots of barriers. Um, mm. And this sad, sorry thing for me is I'm seeing these marvellous ideas and new research and innovations and lots more understanding of the neurobiology of trauma, for instance, which we actually did know about then, but we couldn't say why, because we couldn't see inside the brain, so we couldn't, Hmm. but we did know these things, but there wasn't the language that explained that it was a amygdala that was too too big and, you know, all of that stuff, so it was harder to get it across, but once, so there was all that good stuff happening, but then you had these kind of like amazingly great programs that would come forth, like Gambler's Help and... um, Oh, I can't think. That was that was a pretty big, innovative one. When was that? Two thousand, late nineties. Gamblers' mm. help for the gambling stuff, but it was put out to tender like every other program. So one year it'd be in this agency, the next election yeah. would be in another agency. Consumers and clients didn't have a clue what service they were going to. When they went previously, it was Anglicare. Now it's at Relationships Australia. Yeah. And they're just so confused about where they've been, who they're seeing, and then there's all these rigid funding criteria. Whereas the model before was much more kind of like, come all, come ye all, we'll help everyone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, which kind of worked because we had a bigger workforce per proportion of the population that was coming to it, in a sense. Right. Okay. And better infrastructure as well, in that you had more. 
you know, like uh, more, how would you say? Put it as a really good, funny example. You used to be able to go to your stationary cupboard and there was no key to it. So that says it all. You can raid the stationary cupboard with all manner of excitement. And it was full of interesting things, whereas now you have to go and get a key and you go in there, there's two pens and a pad in there. You know, so... That's mm. a big change too. I, I can't wait until I've, I think mm. I've had 15 to 20 years in, mm. um, in mm. mental health and, and I can say the same thing to a, to a yeah. young person coming through. It's yeah. like, you think that's a stationary cupboard? Yeah. Oh, no, let me I tell you. I 1980s style stationary cupboard. Yeah. Like a shoulder pad stationary cupboard. Everything's big. So that's, yeah, mm. those, those days there was a lot of self-help stuff going on too. People were joining all these groups. There was this, Alcohol, AA's been around for years, but they were starting all sorts of other AA models for uh, narcotics and sexual, sex addiction. Oh, come back to that. Talk about technology. That's had a huge impact on the porn addictions and that, which we didn't see then, but wow, have they taken off. Same with gambling. So there's new problems and new diagnosis mm. things. That's why DSM-5 has to keep up a bit quicker than it's. And it's going. So, yeah, I've seen those changes. I've seen a lot of changes actually in diagnosis stuff, which I was really exciting because a lot of people got left out. Mm. Like, no, we have this view ADHD is only naughty boys at age eight who do this. That's ADHD. And it's like, no, that's not. It's much yeah. broader than that. Mm. And for me personally, that is really important because I went through school feeling like I was completely stupid and something seriously wrong with me mm. and wasn't picked up because. Um, I wasn't a boy and I wasn't naughty. So they yeah. knew that they said something wrong with her. We called my mother in something wrong with her. Yeah. And it's like, we don't know. It must be her antihistamines that she's always vague and attentive and naughty and whatever. Mm-hmm. But now, because all that's been um, expanded so much and minds have been open about, um, you know, not sort of trying to stick you. This is, this is what autism is. This is what this is. This is what bipolar is. This is what schizophrenia There's much more of a model now that's um, the diet, you know, like getting rid of the axis thing. Mm. We did away with that axis one, axis two, axis three. Well, what's that? Um, well, it's what, is, what do you mean by axis? Uh, well, in the DS, all the previous DSMs, like one, two, three, four, whatever, there used to be that you put a diagnosis and formulation was around. Um, axis one, which was all the disorders that were, um, what were they, Jesse? Sort of like schizophrenia. Um, yeah, bipolar. look, I. In, oh, different. I feel bipolar. like I should know a lot more about yeah. um, axis based yeah. disorders. And um, axis two was like personality disorders. Axis three was um, physical problems. Axis four was. Uh, family and societal and social relationship problems, and then Axis 5 was global assessment of functioning, right? Right. But it was very rigid because we know now that you can have all of those diagnoses flip over and are blended mm. with each other. Yeah, so it's not There's a very no helpful... Separate. There's no yeah. separate. Yeah. So it got canned, yeah. thank God. I mm. think that was a good thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's great many exciting changes that... Mm. And for me, lots of things I was doing that were seen as the lunatic fringe back in the 80s and now, oh, wow, neuroscience can prove that. <laughs> so I didn't go to all those sweat lodges and chanting in the streets and running with no clothes through the bush for nothing. There's actually yeah. a scientific basis for this. Yeah. And I find that really rewarding now. Yeah, right. It's you know? amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, I think it's really exciting what's happened, but what makes me sad is just this fragmentation and, like, this organisation should run this amazing program with these complex people who've got really complex needs, but they only get three sessions and you only get one and a half staff with one and a half phone between you. Yeah. You know, it's that model really upsets and, me. And I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, one, one thing I, I guess, yeah, I've, I've, I've noticed just kind of, like, jumping into this over the mm-hmm. last year and a half is that... Um, stretched resources are so stretched and yeah. so you've you've got mm. um a small amount of people really um covering a really wide range of areas mm. that they have to service and, and it just makes it makes it a lot harder i think yeah, yeah. Like, or just oh, sorry like, it, like it reduces the the quality of the service yeah. you're yeah. providing yeah, yeah. yes yeah. and i hate that mm. that it's something that's made me want to leave many times because i'm not going to do this anymore because 
it's just crap. You, you get this fragmentation of programs that have this brilliant idea. One thing that used to irritate me like good 20 years ago or more was the glossy brochures about a new program. Where this program is the photos, of, you know, I think, yeah, but who's going to do that? Mm. You know, there seems to be all those programs and policies that are written, but where, where's the actual people on the ground who are going to do that and implement that? Yeah. Um, and that started, that rot started a long time ago. So, mm. yeah, one one thing that I've noticed with like the mm. deinstitutionalization type stuff mm. was when I was working in like mm. the acute adult team um, was mm. that um, there would be these people who would just very consistently come back into the service or just be permanently in like this mm. community They're management thing. Yeah. yeah. And so like, they, they're people who don't have the support systems to be able to go into the community and live well. They need extra support, extra yeah. community mm. things. And so those kinds of people would have thrived in like an institution type scenario. Mm. Like that that's the place in which they would have been really quite um, happy yeah. and well. And if that would have been translated to the community, you need way more supports yeah, and connections exactly with community. Yeah. yeah, like you said, and it yeah. just isn't there. And so mm. they're just stuck in this limbo where they would have been better off in institutions. And perhaps there's a scenario in which community they would have thrived but they just don't have the supports for that to happen so they're worse off than um, they were yeah 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 Yeah. um yeah because you know i'm going back to the day when there was was a big movement towards therapeutic communities and communes on the side but therapeutic communities and there's some really famous personalities that started lots of therapeutic communities um like i'm thinking of a bloke called Alf foot can't remember whether he was a psychologist or he was something um started a therapeutic community for alcohol and drug rehab stuff based on lots of the in-thing therapies and lots of cohesiveness and meetings and you know, mm. walking the grounds. And the, um, and people thrived on that because it gave them that the therapeutic community is a really good idea. I mean, it can go horribly wrong too because mm. those places are open to institutionalised abuse if, you know, no one's looking in to yeah. check on it. Right. Which is why it's good that we've got community visitor programs now that go and check these places out. Um, but, yeah, those, I can't remember what the name of that, Moreland Hall. Moreland Hall, that's what you're in, in Moreland. Hmm. Yeah, so there were lots of things like that then. Yeah. And they were great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were not, not big waiting lists. You didn't have to trying to fill out great lengthy referrals, really. You just had a chat on the phone to someone. And, um, it sounds it's like... It's changed a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah. it sounds like that because of, like, the mm. complexity and mm. the variability of people mm. with mental illness, mm. having a very strict structure of mm. this is the service we're providing in this time mm. period with this, amount of, with this person mm. is just not going to work because mm. it changes so much and there needs to be that kind of... Mm. buffer in which okay we're just going to spend some time working it out or it's mm. not going to work like this we'll just try something different and we'll, mm. we'll spend a bit more time than we thought because things have changed you just need that flexibility otherwise mm. something's going to not go as planned and then the system mm. just doesn't do what it's supposed to yeah you used to have that you didn't have to meet these extraordinary outcome measures mm. you didn't have to do it we used to keep those things but just sorry just to just to interrupt yeah. um aaron yes we are nearing oh. the end of October. <gasps> have you have you done your outcome measures for the month? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was like, I was like, what's going on? What happened? <laughs> Go back to work now. Finish them. <laughs> Just you know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very diligent yeah. in yeah. my, yeah. my um, mandatory um, accounting Reform. type stuff. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, of no, course. Good, yeah, good, no. good point. How dare you call me out like that? Yeah. So yeah, forum. of course we had those, but there was just so much more flexibility and far less barriers and hurdles for people to jump through. So service accessibility was a lot easier, I think, in that yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I was gonna say that. People were more interested in doing actual therapy than just printing brochures and talking about their amazing projects and programs that there was only one staff member to do. So Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like those those brochures it's like more effort was put into making yeah. the, the yeah. program look good. You know, nice and fancy yeah. and, really and then you find out it's a paper tiger. Yeah. Yeah. From there, yeah. You, know? you get there and there's no substance to it. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like good old fashioned 
solid because when I my first job was at a thing called the Northwest One Stop Welfare Centre, which was mm. in Preston, Preston, Coburg, and it was an initiative of the Whitland government that started them all over the place. It was basically rent these great big old warehouse things and turn them into a one stop welfare centre. So you had all the agencies that a person would need, such as a housing agency, emergency relief, um, counselling, child protection had this corner up here, you know, and it was all in the one roof and other programs that were um, project or in, you know, like unemployment, because the unemployment was quite high in the 80s, so there were lots of work programs getting people back into work, and that was my very first job with young unemployed women in the northern suburbs to look at barriers of employment to them. So um, very exciting stuff. It was all on one roof, so people just kind of walked through and got nurtured and that wrap thing they call wraparound yeah. now. Mm. But they were all shut down by successive more conservative governments until eventually that was the only one and then that got knocked on the head and everything got kind of all over the shop. Um, but funnily enough, that idea has been recycled now a bit more back into, oh, let's wrap around mm. like orange door mm. orange door is a classic yeah well. orange yeah. door um for mm. those listening is um kind of a one-stop shop for kind of family type services yeah um, for example um family mm. violence um, mm. services or just other like mm. um youth or children's yeah. services yeah. in so the that's community that's that very idea and it's come, made a comeback yeah mm, right. yeah so i think that's good but what's funny what's funny to me from the the long view is and it really annoys me because I could probably be, if I was a really out there and entrepreneurial person, I could make a fortune. But I've just seen so many new invented therapies that are invented, marketed and trademarked and owned by a certain person. And I have to laugh because I thought, we were doing that in the 80s and the 70s. <laughs> just changed the name and remarketed it and forgotten the whole history of that. Yeah. Therapies movement, you know. And I, I was listening, <laughs> yeah, coming to work one day, and there's this bloke, some psychologist who was attached to a big university like Cambridge or something. And the reporting was, oh, you know, um, they found this amazing discovery of treatment for procrastination or something like that. And I'm like, wow, what is it? CBT. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this, you know. This is a new amazing discovery. Mm. You're kidding me. You know, scientifically based, this bloke from Cambridge has just discovered this. And uh, yeah, that really annoys me because yeah. I just it's been done before. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's like yeah, if you're not um, if the community isn't actively mm. building on the knowledge that's come before. It's, it isn't, you can't just take it for granted that we'll move forward in our understanding of mm. mental health mm. um, unless we're actively being like, all right, what have we done? How can we build on that? What has worked? Mm. You, there's a maybe a risk of just repeating what we've already done in, yeah, in, in a different way with a different, with a different with a code different of pain. Yeah. Saying, oh, this is marvellous. I mean, yeah, but it's been done. And a lot of marvellous stuff's already been done. <clears throat> yeah. So there's some great stuff going on. Yeah. You're looking at me like disbelieving. No, no, sorry, sorry. I, I think I must have been doing what Aaron was doing before and just, just I was I was very deep in thought. Mm. Uh, and and, mm. and listening listening to mm. what you were saying and, and just kind mm. of thinking about um a keynote that I saw last year. Mm. Um and they were talking about how um I think uh, over the past like fifty years or, or, mm. or whatever, uh C B T and, and research in that it, it made really great strides mm. uh, you know maybe the first couple of decades but then mm. uh you know coming into the 21st century mm. the you can, can you're relative to the strides that were made earlier on not not a lot has mm. has really um yeah happens happened yeah. since yeah and, and then then you get uh you mm. know ideas of like well what if we what if we uh, do some cbt with uh mdma or, <laughs> or mushrooms and stuff like yeah. that and it's like yeah okay yeah, cool. <laughs> Sorry, just complete. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, drifted yeah. right off. Meditation hasn't gone much further either since the nineties. It's kind of hit a bit of a brick wall too, wouldn't you say? Well, you probably know more because you're in the adult team. But 
Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I'm fairly. Years this, ago. this is the part where you just I'm, make it say, Aaron, I'm, outside of my scope of practice. It is well outside my scope of practice. <laughs> um, the, I mean, like, Where's I, Josh West? <laughs> I, I've, I've been to a few like um, education type stuff in mm. speakers about yeah. medication. So, I mean, I know a bit, but I'm not an expert, so don't listen to me. Mm. <laughs> okay, that's another frontier. There's people having thoughts about other things about that now, so that's different. Mm. Which I think is good, but to me it feels like it's just open season now. Anything can, can go. So rapid social change. Well, I guess as a social worker, I'm saying the social policy has been um, the biggest thing I've seen, mm. really. Like, yeah, mm. a lot of other things have had a big impact, but... Like technology's just been an annoyance to me, or a benefit sometimes, but an annoyance like shit. Now I have to enter this electronic, can't just handle because I can handwrite really fast. Hmm. So, but essentially, we're keeping similar information, perhaps several times over, or <laughs> whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that's a frontier that needs more acknowledgement too, because there's more things like the virtual reality therapy and that thing yeah. that's a thing, great connect the, the robot Milo that teaches the social yeah. skills. I think, yeah, the mm. um, the um, virtual reality exposure therapy is something mm. I'm really keen to get, yeah. get yeah. Um, have, have a bit of a look at. Um, mm. and I do need to dive, dive yeah. into that while, yeah. while we've, so we've got that resource. But none of that replaces the good, solid, therapeutic, trusting relationship. None of it. Mm. Doesn't. Mm. Doesn't. No, You're looking well, like no, 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 I, no, I agree. I, I agree mm. with you on that. And I think Aaron mm. and I have actually, um, we, we discussed mm. that in an earlier podcast. Mm. So you can, you mm. can slap on mm. whatever therapeutic modality you want onto, mm. onto, um, yeah. you know, your practice. But if, if you, yeah, if you can't form that relationship, if you can't form that therapeutic alliance to, to bring about meaningful change, then mm. whatever, whatever you do, it's not, it's doesn't not matter. Work. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It won't yeah. matter what it is. Mm. Because you know we know now more than ever, more than we did in the fifties with Ainsworth and Volby in the sixties. Where we know more now, well, I don't know more, but we can prove it, I guess. That if you don't form that um, healthy, that kind of uh, what do you call it, safe space mm. attachment, where a person feels completely safe and emotionally safe, mm. and that they can do shared meaning into subjectivity stuff with you, then it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to change anything. Mm. So because they're not going to be open to it, they're going to be closed down. And that's another thing with mindfulness comes in because there's another mindfulness called open awareness where you're trying to expand so you're not so shut down and scared and closed off. So it's like, whoa, making Mm. yourself bigger, bringing spaces between the body and cells so you can have spaces in your thoughts. Oh, so they don't all have to rush together. You, know, you can have a space between you have another thought. You can have that thought. Don't have another one just yet. Just pause before you have another thought. Yeah. As I say to clients, then you, you learn to choose whether you should have another thought about this or not. Mm, right. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Like you can you can have enough space between a thought. Say, so will I have that thought about suicide or will I not? Will that thought be any use to me? You know, that sort of mm. thing. But God, that is so good. Yeah, right. That's just amazing to think that, you know, we can, it's easy to access that sort of therapies now because I don't know why, but it just is. And I think it's the mindfulness movement, really. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's all of that research out there that tells yeah. us that yeah, mindfulness is so important. Yeah. And I think what the real fantastic mm. thing about mindfulness is mm. um, there is, it's, it's so versatile in the way that you can practice you can do mindfulness. Yeah. You can Something do it for everyone. Yeah, like you know, yeah. you've got Aaron, Aaron talking about mindfulness when running. Um, you were talking about mindfulness when eating before. And, and you know, there's just, yeah, you know, love, love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, there's just so many ways that you can apply that in your day-to-day practice that, that I think is, is, is really so, I think that's so awesome that, um, you know, we've got this thing that we know mindfulness is, is so powerful for people's overall uh, mental well-being and, 
there's so many different ways that yeah. you can practice yeah. it. It's um, mm. it's not a not a one size fits all. No, you can um, find something for but, everyone. Yeah, but yeah. that's it. But there's enough sizes out there exactly. that we yeah. can literally fit this into yeah. anybody. Yeah. Um, and if, yeah. we, if we can be really smart and creative around how we tailor that to everybody, we that's can bring the, about some really, really yeah. awesome mm. change. Yeah. 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 Right. There's an old saying in yoga that there's a yoga posture for everything mm. that's ever besieged human beings yeah. and there's a meditation for everything or mindfulness practice for everything that's ever happened to a human being yeah. there is something there for everyone right you know? oh, i never thought about it like yeah, that no, yeah no you know whatever, wow. whatever ails you there's something there that can hmm Mind, mindfulness of beer drinking what do you reckon what do you reckon about that one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you're doing essentially isn't yeah. it because yeah. you're tasting it and you're having a review you're not just mm. slogging it down and Flipping the remote and you know doing that. So mm. she she says while while well, well, we're ten beers deep. Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, risky now. no, as as always. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how? <laughs> probably, probably shouldn't, and that's probably a really good time to just um, give a spiel about uh, responsible drinking of alcohol. Mm. Um, here at Beer Supervision, we only practice mm. the uh, most responsible drinking of alcohol, and. Mm. Um, and we encourage our, our listeners to do so also. Oh, yes. yes. I, 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 um, what's the word? I endorse this message. Yes. <laughs> I endorse this message. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so what are some changes that you would like to see to mental health, do you think, Liz? Um. We had a mental health, we had an inquiry. We had a Royal Commission into mental health. We had a lot of Royal Commissions. Um, but I think it, it often ignores the same old problem. There's not enough bums on the seats. Mm. And we have to have a bigger workforce and we have to look after them better. We get very poor pay for the level of qualifications and study and tuition costs and what we get paid. It's actually very poor. So, okay. And do you think? think- well, I mean, comparatively. Well, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to say because I'm mm. getting paid probably more than the average person of my level of experience. So for me, wow, mental yeah. health pays really well. Yeah. But for someone with your level of experience, it would be well. The other I'm still way back in the social work two category now. Yeah, right. Never been there for, mm. apart from the stint as a senior, which is not that good. A, well, it's good, better, but. You know, it, there's no career progression. There's no mm. career structure. It's just an army of these lowly paid and do, people. Do you, think, do you think it's more than just a, a pay issue, though? Um, like, oh, yeah, do, it's do, more do, than like, a pay issue. Yeah, yeah. obviously yeah. The, work, the work that we, we find ourselves doing can be really mm. quite, quite tricky at times. Mm. Um, and do you think maybe there is, you know, a need for more focus to be placed on how do, how do we actually take care of our stuff? Yeah. How, yeah, how do we? Yeah. How do we convey to them that we mm. we care about them, that mm. we value the work that they yeah. do, and that they're not yeah. just uh, you mm. know another another cog in the wheel? Yeah, because that's what you end up mm. feeling like. Mm. But aside from that, like I'm a union member, Haxu member, mm. um, and one of the things when they do their surveys about what people's biggest gripe is, and it's all the multiple choice and everything. And do you know what? It's not all. It's not usually pay rate, although it's an issue, is not the highest one. What is? Staffing levels. Yeah. There's not enough of us to mm. do what we're supposed to do and to recognise the complexity. Yeah, and it's usually staffing levels. Like, for God's sake, you've got a couple of people trying to do the job of five people. Yeah. Mm. Which is another massive change. When mm. I worked in school support system services, I was at, based at Mooney Ponds to start with. Um, we had this lovely office. We were all sitting up there. We had all sorts of staff, plenty of them, and we were allocated five schools each. Now, the, mm. And there was a lot of us. Now yeah. now that's about a quarter of the staff and they're probably covering, if they were covering schools like that, something like 20. Yeah. So, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hugely different in workload. Yeah. yeah. The, this was the, um, what, are your, what is your sense of how helpful the unions are in, Pushing that forward and making a difference there. Oh, I've got a question. I don't know. I'm loaded. I'm going to drop a very controversial suggestion. <laughs> this is why it's loaded. <laughs> is it? no. oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually believe in compulsory closed shop unionism. That we should be compulsory. It's mandatory to be in the union. Right. Mm. I have a problem with anything that's mandatory. I don't like that. But 
the thing that gets me makes me very angry is that I pay my seven hundred dollars, six hundred and something dollars a year for the union, plus all the money for um, mental health, for social work accreditation, blah blah blah. And then when the union bargain at every EBA and succeed in getting something, that flows on to non-members who haven't paid anything mm. to get that benefit. I can see how that would be frustrating. Yeah. So yeah. that annoys me because I think everyone's going, yay, we're going to get a pay rise. And I said, yeah, well, you know, are you a member of the union? Well, you shouldn't get the pay rise That's the reality, though, a lot but, of... You know, that yeah. sort of annoys me that yeah. union membership's dropped off because I think the mm. unions have got less power than they have. For yeah. sure. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we forget mm. all mm. the benefits that we've gotten in the past from, from unions. unions. And we kind of, yeah, just like mm. kind of accept it as, oh, that's just the way it is, without yeah, realizing not. that they a lot of things. bargain very hard for that. A lot of things, yeah, we take yeah. for granted as making the job doable, yeah. let alone being better than it is yeah. now, mm. is yes. from unions. So join your union. Yeah, join your union. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they do. They don't do the good the job that they used to do, um, but again, that's resources, and they're limited by recent policies that have really stymied unions and made very difficult for them to operate. Yeah, um, right. And they've had to adapt to that by becoming identifying the perpetrator almost, like they've had to kind of yeah. get in bed with the organisations that. So it's made it really difficult, which has put people off joining, but it's a vicious circle. So yeah, it hasn't been. Pay rate, although that is a bit of an issue, but the biggest one has really been staffing issues and the expectations that a few people can do all this stuff, mm-hmm. which they can't. Yeah, they right. try to and burn themselves out and get in a mess. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Mm. Well, thank you for that mm. beautiful TED talk on the unions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can do more. Uh, no, uh, no, no, I think, I think we've, we've covered the union enough in, in that section. Yeah. We'll save it for the union episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. An entire, entire episode on the union. Um, how about we finish off with what you would like to see? Like what's one thing you'd really like to see going forward with um, within, I guess, the, the mental health sector into the future? I think there's been a lot of great groundwork laid in terms of recognising things that need to happen. Like I had, it was an absolute joy and privilege, but I wasn't paid enough, um, <laughs> to do the zero to four infant mental health project. Yeah. Which mm, had yeah. a fairly pathetic amount of funding and a lot of politics that went with it that made it a little, a little difficult to pull it off. But it was a start. Mm. recognising infant mental health and a depressed infant and attachment issues and helping parents and the fact that we've now got another baby unit here that we never had. Then we'll be introducing lots of other evidence-based things. So that is so exciting to me. Yeah. Right. It sounds like um, you're really excited about the fact that, um, again, you mentioned there with early, Mm. like infant to to age Mm. four, getting getting Mm. in earlier and and really making that change and, Mm. and... Mm. Doing doing all of that, going through the motions at, a, at an early age to, to bring about long-lasting, meaningful change. Yep. Yeah, it yep. sounds like also like a bit of um, mm. breaking outside of purely just the medical model when treating mm. oh, mental health. that's just yeah. way too old now. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's got its place, but yeah. it's a biopsychosocial model, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. Well, how about me? This yes. was, that was a good solid amount of stuff we just talked through. And that was yeah. good. How about we check in on how we're on going with our drinks, yeah. with our beer? Yeah, I think that is a great idea. But I need to crack another one because I accidentally drank the other one. So you're going to have to edit it. You're going to have to edit this out. I've never. I'll never edit it. You never edit it. Oh, shit. And now you have to edit it out because I swore. Nah. I'll beep it out. It's fine. Sorry about that. I don't know if I know how to beep things out. I'll figure it out. No swearing. Okay. Okay. I think after... That last sip. Oh, in fact, I'm going to have another one. <laughs> I, I like this. I do. And I like it for a few reasons, Aaron. The first reason is it tastes good. Mm-hmm. That's a good reason to like a beer. 
Look, I'm not going to disagree with you. Yes. I also think the, the artwork <laughs> on the can is pretty good. Mm, yep. Um, love it. As far as session ales go, I find they tend to have a bit of a distinct sort of taste. Yeah. It's like um, a bitter, bitterness. Yeah. And, and um, but, but I really don't mind it. Mm. Is it the best session ale I've ever had? No. I would say it's a pretty, like, inoffensive session yes. ale. Yes. All right. So, Jesse, you've brought, um, you've had a look at the future proposed changes to the mental health system that are coming up in the near future. Um, want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it was state government's 10-year plan sort of thing. And this is really easily accessible on the internet. Um, old mate Google will sort that one out for you. Mm-hmm. Now, as I was reading through this, I was thinking to myself, this kind of seems a little bit vague. Um, I would have liked a lot more detail, but I think I was reading through like the whole the whole summary sort of thing. So I think it was it was only about forty pages only. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the things that I saw as being like I think a real focal point of the uh, the the state government of Victoria um, over the next ten years with the, with their mental health plan is getting um, your consumer consultants and uh, get, you're really getting consumers involved in the running of the mental health care system and getting their input moving forward, which I think is a really good thing for mental health moving Mm. forward because we always talk about in mental health, um, you know, around the workplace, breaking down the the stigma associated with with having... We don't do it very well. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And, and, you know, a really great example of of how it's not done well is, you know, we, we all talk about breaking down that stigma in mental health. Mm. But all you have to do is look at what happens when someone with emerging borderline personality disorder or a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and, yeah, and, and see, see yeah. have a listen to some of the conversations that, that occur and you yeah. can see that we still have a long way to go. Yeah, on that topic, yeah. And so I think that mm. including consumers within mm. how the mental health system is run is actually really quite a positive step moving forward um and i I think um i just think it'd be really useful at breaking down that stigma if Mm. um you know if we we were much more inclusive uh, and it wasn't so much of an us versus them sort of mindset um if well we think it is very us versus them yeah yeah right yeah okay yeah what kind of ways do you see that kind of playing out? I think we're almost like we're above it because we work in mental health as the clinicians that we will never be depressed or anxious because we're, do you know what I mean? Yeah. What a lie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we we do know that in mental health services, um, I'm trying to remember who it was, whether it was, one of those people like, it wasn't Bruce Perry, but it was someone who was talking about Oh no, it was one of those people who does podcasts, um, Gronde. You know, no, you've got those, Gronde. those people. Yeah, they're the yeah, worst. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. anyway, you're saying like mental health problems that are associated with mental health professionals and substance abuse was right at the top. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. And I do recall when we were over at the old Hobson's Park that there was um, a few staff over there that could not be found occasionally because they were off out putting a bet on the 3.30 at Pakenham and um, <laughs> or they were um, at the pokies or, you know, whatever. So mm. We were born too late, Aaron. Oh, man. <laughs> you were. You were. You were. Yeah. So, you know, we have mental health problems too, just like we have physical health problems. Yeah. So that's not a stigma. Yeah. You say, like, oh, don't talk about Jesse's... Um, colon or is our colon. We don't have that. Well, we do. We we, we love to talk about Jesse's colon. Uh, In fact, fact, Liz, why do you have to spoil episode five? Um, Come on. But we can't, there's a real thing about the stigma of, and how do you do do that thing too? How do you walk that line of um, mental health, we're not immune to that problem ourselves, Mm. but there's still a lot of shame. So we're saying clients shouldn't have services, shouldn't have that stigma, but then we've got it. Yeah, we, you know? we're, we're afraid to yeah. um, say that this is an issue for us mm. and it's going to affect the way we work and we yeah. need to work around yes. it. Mm. Yeah, and then you could be absolutely purloined or burned at the stake for that too. It could be used against you. So 
Yeah, um, I mean, there's a, kind of an expectation that you're bulletproof when you're working in acute mental health. Yeah, yeah, but which we are not. <laughs> yeah. So how do you how do you kind of um, negotiate that one? Um, and hopefully there'll be more enlightened thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts, Jesse, about what you read? No, not particularly. I think that was the main. Uh, like standout point for me, mind you, I may have just not taken in a whole bunch of other really important changes. Was forty pages uh, of reading? I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it was it was it was a quick, quick, uh, quick read. Um, I, I, well, I'm pretty time poor, um, so didn't didn't get to I guess dive into it as much as I would have liked. But that was the real standout for me. So, um, and I guess that's a positive. It's a positive thing to, to mm. think that that's the uh, approach that we're going to be taking uh, moving moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Aaron, do you reckon that's a good a good spot to, yeah. to end that discussion? Um, well, I think there might be... Oh, that discussion, yes. But I think oh, 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 don't <laughs> worry, don't worry. Oh. The most important discussion is yet to have occurred. Okay, of course, yeah. Um, but in, in terms of, I guess, uh, you know, the mental health, content for today i mm. think i think we've covered a fair bit and mm. again liz mm. um yeah i was so excited to have you on this podcast and i'm so happy with yeah. um with what you brought to this this episode oh, i, I yeah, feel like absolutely. i've learned so much and um and i've just had an absolute ball doing it as well it's, yeah yeah of course i mean it's, 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 it's one episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some of the stories like at, at the uh, at the table, some hey. of the things you've seen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think uh excellent takeaway, I guess, in general from this um mm. from all of this mm. is that things have changed significantly in the mental health field and things will change in the future. It's a it's, it's much like mental health itself. Yes. It's that mm. it is somewhat unpredictable there are a lot of changes and you have to be quite mm. flexible and work around mm. systems that are often maybe working against you often mm. um, to try and make things work for your mm. clients so you're doing that as well as you know, mm. learning to be the best clinician that you can be um, mm. so yeah there's a, there's a lot to work your head around but it's also for, for me it's quite exciting like, yeah. I enjoy the the complexity of not only working with clients but the complexity mm. of well, this is a whole system where people are just working it out as they go to some extent. Mm. So you can be part of that process and to make things as good as it can be for the people you work with and for your fellow workers in mental health. So there's a lot there's a lot of room to grow and change, which is exciting mm. too. Yeah. 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 Fantastic yeah. summary there, Aaron. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to the most important part of the podcast, Aaron, over the course of this podcast, mm. you and I, have been drinking the Ferrobarinco's Sly Fox Session Ale. Mm, yeah, oh, look, Session Ales aren't my favourite kind of beer, um, but this one was quite fine. It's something that I would be happily drink um, more than one of. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yes, Whoa. maybe more than one. Yeah, yeah. more than one, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was all right with it. I'd, I'd give it like a... I mean, like, probably just, like, a solid average score. So, I mean, like, 2.5 out of 5? Mm. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Nice. Like, I mean, for, for a session ale, it's probably pushing up to a 3, 3.5. But yeah. for me, 2.5. Very nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slightly slightly higher than you as okay. just a general. So, I'm going to go with a 3. Okay. Um, but that could be because I'm a little bit partial to the session ale. Um, okay. I notice when I drink the session ale, it does leave an interesting aftertaste in my mouth. But it's not an offensive aftertaste. And it's an aftertaste that I think, yeah, I enjoy this. I like the session ale. So I'm going to give it a three uh, because I enjoyed it. Yeah. And um, I would love to know, it says here on the can, perfect with a hot summer's day. Yes, well, we're not having many. Yeah, and, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, spring has been, uh, you know, quite quite cold over the last, last couple yeah. of weeks. Um, but I would love to test this beer out on a, on a 
on a nice hot summer's day, and and I think that would even. Just, I mean, every beer bumps up to about a four on a hot summer's day. You know, I really enjoyed that. And Liz, how how was the random Irish whiskey that I pulled well, out of my cupboard? Because it was superb. <laughs> it was just Jamison. Yeah, I thought it was Jamison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. thought that's a Jamison. Yeah, I had for a while, but yeah. It was, Absolutely Moorish. Moorish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. nice. Oh, yeah. I'm glad. It's good. Right. Five star rating, Liz. Yeah, oh, I love that. Jamison's. It's perfect. Such a good whiskey. Yeah. Out of five? Oh, um. Oh, I don't know. Five? Oh, we've Jam- done it. Jamison, five out of five. There we, we go. Because I can have a few more, but I won't. I'll just lick the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Amazing. Uh, Very nice. Stuff. <laughs> well, I think um, that's probably lick, licking the bowl is a good place to, to finish up this episode. Yeah. An ex- excellent uh, place. Uh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone, uh, very much for listening, and thank you very much, Liz, for joining us. Thank you for having so me. Much. So yeah. good. Namaste. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and thank you all for listening to us. Um, yeah, we will have another episode, as usual, in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Mm. Um, very exciting. So, yeah, we'll see you then. See you, everyone. See you later, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Be a Supervision, the podcast where we talk about the joys of working in mental health over a cold brew. We record every two weeks, often with guests from the mental health field. If you could leave us a rating on iTunes, that would really help us out. Or share it with someone who might find it helpful. If you'd like to contact us with feedback or questions, or even just to say hi, definitely do at beasupervisionpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find Be a Supervision on Facebook and Twitter. Our opinions are our own, the beers we drink are chosen just by us, and we don't receive any sponsorships. We'll see you next time.